Uh, Hosea continues bringing God's word to the people of Israel here. Uh, God is still dealing with them in a prophecy of, of their condemnation, of their sin that they are in, their idolatry. And in chapter 5, he starts bringing Judah into the picture. Uh, he will now deal with Judah. Judah, see, you know, we, we looked in chapter 4 a couple weeks ago or a week ago. We seen where God told uh, Israel not to infiltrate or, or to uh, corrupt Judah because they were doing pretty good under a godly king they had. Uh, but in chapter 5, we see that uh, their sins are starting to rub off on Judah, starting to rub off on the other people. And as we get into this, we'll, we'll read all 15 verses, and then we'll get right into it. Chapter 5, he says, Hear ye this, O priest, hearken ye, house of Israel, and give ye ear, O house of the kings. For judgment is toward you, because ye have been a snare on Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters are profound to make slaughter, though I have been a rebuker of them all. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hid from me. For, I, for now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doings to turn into their God, unto their God, for the spirit of whoredom is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children. Now shall a month devour them with their portions. Blow ye the cornet in Gilbah, and try trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud in Bethaven after thee, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke among the tribes of Israel. Have I made known that which shall surely be? The princes of du Judah were like them that removed the bound. Therefore I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked after the commandment. Therefore will I be unto Ephraim as a moth, and to the house of Judah as rottenness. When Ephraim saw his sickness, and, his, and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian, and sent to King Jerob, Yet could he not heal you, nor cure you of your wound. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I even, I will tear and go away. I will take away, none shall rescue you. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. The prophet brings out here, continuing his, his uh, prophecy from God to Israel, against Israel, for their uh, sins, for their wardom, as he calls it. But he brings to it, he, he brings it out, he starts it out with the priest, the house of Israel, and the house of kings. He's putting blame on the leaders. He's putting blame upon the priests that have been teaching the wrong doctrines. 
He's putting blame on the house of Israel, which is the government or civil leaders. And he also brings blame upon the king. And he says, the judgment shall be toward you, because ye have been a snare to Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tibar. They have basically taken, and being because they were the leaders, Israel and Judah both now are in this wardom, or in this sin, this they're so wrapped up in it, they don't even look for God anymore. But he said, now he's going to blame the house of Israel, which is the civil leaders and the kings and the priest. He's not putting the blame on the people no more. It's just like here in our government. If, if, a, if a city does something and somebody doesn't like it, who do they blame? They blame the government. They blame their civil leaders. If it's something of a religious nature, who do they blame? The Christian leaders. Uh, you know, if, if England is someplace, if they blame something, they blame it on the king. But that's what he was doing here. God was telling them that they are to blame. It's just like holding the pastor or preacher of a church. He is more uh, responsible for the spiritual leadership of this church than anybody else in it. If the church dies... We could say the pastor did it. We would blame him for it. But it may not be his. I'm not saying that that's happening. I'm, I, what I'm saying is that, you know, God is putting the blame on those who are in charge or leaders. And he will put more of a burden on them for the cause of it than he will the normal common people. We'll look at that. Both the civil and religious leaders are indicted for their entrapment or their snare of the people, he calls it. Uh, the place of Mizpah, it's a mountain near Gilead in the Transjordan. If you look on your maps in the back of your Bible, if you've got a book Bible and you have maps in it, if you look at it, you see that there's usually a map of the divided kingdoms in there. If you look at it, you'll find Mizpah is just southwest of Bethel. Bethel is also Beth-Avon that we'll, he mentions in here. And Tabar is a hill which is in that valley of Jezreel. Remember we talked about the valley of Jezreel in chapter 1. God says that's, you know, that, that's uh, Megadu. That's where that Armageddon battle is going to take place. But those are the hills. It, it was a hill in Tabar and a mountain in Mizpah. And he says, you have entrapped them. That's where they were worshiping their pagan gods. That's where they were going and worshiping their their idols, and they were uh, sacrificing, and they were bringing it all to them. If you look on the map, uh, Israel basically covers from about where the Sea of Galilee is down to almost the Dead Sea. That would have been the Israel part. And that's in between there. That's in that valley. Uh, Ephraim represents the whole nation of Israel. Not Judah, but the whole nation of Israel. He said the priests and the kings, the rulers, uh, are going to be judged more harshly, more severely than the people will, the common people will. Uh, they were going up there and they were worshiping their idols. He said the revolters, those revolters are those who uh, revolt against God. They're the ones who have turned their backs on God. They're the ones who have, have made this decision not to even seek his face and and worship him. And he says, I know Ephraim. 
and Israel is not hid from me. Here we want to get into the attributes of God. His, uh, I hope I pronounced these right. It's kind of hard for me, but his omniscience. Yeah, okay. Omniscience. I said that right. Probably not. Anyway, his knowing of all things. An attribute of God is that he knows all things. And these people who were in Israel and in Judah, they think they were getting away with this stuff. But they weren't. God was watching. God knows everything. He knows everything. His omnipotent, omnipotent, okay? (laughs) Y'all have to excuse me, my language, all right? But that's his control of everything. He has control of all things. He has control of these doors being open. He has control of of us walking in here and being able to worship. He has control of, of who sits in the White House. He has control of all that. And that, that's one of his attributes. Another of his attributes that I deal with in here is his immutability. His unchanging attribute. He cannot change. He will not change. He is the same. Scripture says he is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. God cannot change. And he knows Ephraim, he says. He says, I know them as a nation. I know them as a people. He said, but they don't know me. He said, they've they've forgotten me. They've turned their face away. He said, Israel is not hid from me. We have to look at that. Nothing's hid from God. No matter what we do. I mean, if if we turn and give somebody a dirty look, guess what? God saw that. Everything that happens in our lives, everything that happens in the world, God looks on and knows and sees it. And he doesn't forget it. He says, O Ephraim, thou committest wardom, and Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doing to turn unto their God. They will not change. They will not uh, recondition themselves. They will not go back and look at God and say, we need to go back to him. We're going to see a little further into this. He said, they will not find him. We go on to, to verse 5, and, and this, is, this is one of the major verses in here, this and 6. The pride of Israel testifies against itself. It's the same thing with an individual, with a nation, with a church. The pride that they have, the, the uh, indignations they have, the, the troubles they have, the problems they have, the sins they have, will all turn against them. They, they will... They will testify of their sin. The one reason why unsaved people don't like to come into some churches, I don't know if you've noticed or not, I know I have, is because when the preacher preaches the truth from the scriptures, they don't like it. They don't like being told that they are sinners. They don't like being told that they're doing wrong according to God. We... we, uh, Stand up here, and the pastor will preach. And I've not seen it happen since he's been here, but I've seen it happen in the past. Someone will come in, and they'll sit back in the back pew. There'll be a visitor. And the pastor, uh, Pastor uh, Neil, I remember the one time I remember, he was preaching, and he was preaching on hell. And he was, he was going at it. He was, he was on fire. 
But he was preaching on hell, and that this gentleman that was sitting in the back pew back there, he'd come in as a visitor. Don't know why he came or what he was for, but once pastor got into it, he got up and walked out. He didn't like it. We used to have a guy, I don't know if he still comes or not, come during the flea market, and he would always uh, tell Pastor Wells, Pastor Mike, uh, what he did wrong after his sermons. He didn't like the way he preached, I guess. I don't know. But he said they will not frame their doing. They will not turn into that. They won't come back to them. The pride that they have will testify against us, them, as well as with us. Any pride that we have in ourselves, <clears throat> when the time comes and God starts dealing with us, he's going to show it. We're going to be exposed of who we really are. He's talking about the whole nation here, all of Israel. Their, 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 their pride is going to be testified against them. He said, therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. They will fall. Judah also shall fall with them. They've already, as we've seen back in chapter 4, that God says, you know, don't go over and corrupt Judah. Leave them alone. Let them be who they are. They're, they're doing okay. But Israel... Sometime between that and this, they've started influencing them. They started getting uh, their pagans into them. And he now says that Judah will fall too. Judah's going to be condemned with them. So, you know, when God says that he's going to deal with a nation, he's going to deal with the whole nation, not just part of it. Uh, anybody who's even involved in that will be part of it. If God decided right now that the United States needs to fall, we're Christians, we're born again, we worship God, we're his born-again children, you know what? We'll fall with them. He will take the whole nation down. And I'm sure that in Israel and even in Judah, there were people who were worshiping God. And they were doing what was right. But the whole nation fell. He says, I will take all of them. In verse 6, he said, They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. They will take their, their sacrifices, they will round them up, they will go to the mountaintops where they've been worshiping the pagan gods, seeking God, and want to bring their sacrifices to him. They're not going to find him. He's not going to be there. He says right there, I'm not going to be there. They won't find me. Because God has not left them off, but he has turned his back on them. He has not seeking, they're not seeking him, so he's not going to be there for them. This nation that we live in right now, I can remember when I was a kid, as a lot of you probably do too, you know, whenever you went to church, and I didn't go to church a whole lot when I was young, but a few times, most of the men who were in that church were wearing shirt and ties and jackets and hats. You know, I remember my grandfather. My grandfather, Pettit, used to always wear a hat. A little, one of those little, I don't know what you call them. I used to call them gangster hats. I look like, you know, tilt it down the edge. But he always wore a hat. And every time they went somewhere, whether it was to a church function, whether it was to a, uh, a wedding or whatever it was, he was dressed up. 
during the time when he was working, he had his, his blue jeans or dungarees or his, his work shirt and work clothes on. But when they got ready to go somewhere, he would dress up. But it was, it was like that when I was a kid. And, and if you did go to church, they all dressed up. They all looked like they were prepared to worship God. And we can see that from, from you know, 50, 60 years ago that that's not like that anymore. We're like Israel. We've, we've faded out. If we really look at it hard enough, if we really want to pick and, and, and nitpick these little things, we could say that we're doing what Israel did. We're allowing the world to come in. Not to the point where we're having light shows and fog and, and all that and the secular music and all that stuff. But over the years, we're going to see it as, na- as the nation of Israel did, slowly deteriorating. He even tells them that. But in, in verse 6, he says, they're going to bring their flocks and their herds. They're going to come to worship me. They're going to come to sacrifice, and I'm not going to be there. Have you ever prayed and prayed and prayed and God never answered? You ever thought, well, maybe if God's not answering, maybe it's because there's something going on that I need to get right with Him first? They're not going to find God in, the, in their worship. They, they, they go and they sacrifice in vain. In verse 7, he says, And they have dealt treacherously against the Lord. They've mocked God. They've, they've turned against Him. They've, they've lost their sense of ability to, to even want to look for Him. Even though they go and sacrifice, they're doing it for their own spite. They're doing it for themselves. pastor spoke about it this morning. I think he did. You know, people come into church, and they come into church just to, to be in church. They didn't come to worship. They just wanted to, you know, come to show. Make people see that, hey, I go to church. But that's what they were doing. They were going to worship, or they were going to sacrifice to God, and God says, I'm not going to be in the midst of them. I'm not going to be there for them. And we go on, he's going to continue doing that. He says, they have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children. Now, I, I had to study on this a minute, because my thought of just looking at that scripture, I'm thinking, well, they married off to these different countries, and so they're marrying outside of the law, the, the Jewish law, marrying a foreign nation or marrying foreign people. But that's not what he's talking about here. He says, uh, in verse 7, he says, They will be dealt they have dealt treasure with the Lord, and they have begotten strange children. They have become an alien to God. They are the strange children. They are the alienated children of God. They no longer have uh, the possession of going in and talking with him. God looks at them as, as something that, that has nothing to do with him. It's, it's like we talk about, if we talk about today's aliens, we call them aliens, migrants coming up from Mexico or from other country, they come in. We don't know them. We have nothing to do with them other than they're here. And that's what he's talking about with Israel. He said, they have begotten strange children. They have gotten to the point, they are alienated from me. I know nothing about them. 
in a sense, that they have no relationship with God. God knows all about them. He knows everything about them. But he has no relationship with them because they don't want it. He says, in a short while, or now shall a month devour them with their portion. In a short time, in the near future, God's judgment is going to come down on them. Now, we think, using the word month, we think, well, 30 days, or you know what they had a sense of the new moon coming around. Uh, within a month, the way we think, in 30 days, something's going to happen to them. But when Scripture was written, when they, they talk about a month, they're talking about a short period of time. It could be 30 days, it could be 10, 20 days, it could be 100 days. It, 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 that's not the point of the word, but the point of the phrase is that it's a short time. And to us, a short time would be a month, two months, three months. But to God, what is a month? It could be an eternity. But he's talking about it. this has not happened yet. So the time, this short time that's going to happen when they are brought to justice or God's wrath will come down on them, so far it's been over 2,000 years. So that's God's short time for them. And he, he gives them that. He said that they, the month or this time will devour them. And remember that for a moment, because when we get to another passage, we're going to see a little bit more about that, the, the time thing. Verse 8, he says, Blow ye the cornet in Gilbah and the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at Beth Haven after thee, O Benjamin. In this phrase, God is saying, he, he's telling the, uh, the prophet here to go out and Israel needs to shout out a warning. The people who are worshiping God, those who still care about God, need to cry out. Because what he's doing here is he's giving them a warning. There is a war coming. And it's not a war of, of, of men and horses and, and battles, but it's a war with God. That's what he's trying to explain here. He said, there's a war coming. There's a short time from now. Something's going to happen, and you are going to be in the midst of it. And it's not going to be good for you. He said, blow the trumpet. The, the, the calling of blowing the trumpet, a coronet was a smaller horn uh, than a trumpet. It was kind of a, well, we kind of see it now. It's, you know, it's that little long thing. You know, there it was a little bit different. <clears throat> but the cornet puts out a nice sound, but not a loud sound. And so the cornet was for mostly a local area, kind of like uh, uh, when you call out the cornet for a city. The city would listen. They would be able to hear it. But when he talks about a trumpet, and we can refer that back to Revelations, when he talks about when the trumpet sounds, who's going to hear that trumpet? The entire world, everybody will hear it. So when the trumpet sounds here, he's talking about this is going to go out to everybody. The cornet is for that local area, probably Jerusalem, but the, the trumpet was for everybody. It was to sound out the whole nation needs a warning that God's bringing a war to them. Verse 9, he says, Ephraim shall be desolate in that day, in the day of rebuke among the tribes of Israel, 
have I made known that which shall surely be. God is promising him, Israel, right here, that it will happen. There's no backing off of it. Will go, it's going to happen. Ephraim, it will be desolate in that day. The nation of Israel will be nothing but, as we've seen in, in other verses, a dry land, a wilderness. He's continuing to tell them what's going to happen to them. He says, among the tribes of Israel, I have made known that which shall surely be. I've told you, and I've told you, and I've told you. It's a promise. It's, a, it's not something that, that I say I'm going to do and then turn around and say, no, I'm not going to do that. God said, it's going to happen. It shall surely be. Verse 10. The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. The, the sense here is that the bound is representing a boundary. Uh, one commentator makes it, uh, he puts it like this. He said, if you have a, a cornfield, uh, what do you do with that cornfield? You put a fence around it so it can't be destroyed, so the animals can't get into it and, and people, other people can't get into it. He said, that's your bound. He's talking about boundaries. He said they have a boundary, and these, these princes have torn down those boundaries. They're now starting to mingle and mix, and they're causing more destruction that way. They're causing chaos, disorder, and confusion by removing these boundaries. They, they've already infiltrated Judah with their sins and their pagan gods and their worshiping. He said these princes of Judah... We're like them that removed the boundaries. Judah is becoming just like Israel. They're starting to worship like them. They're starting to sin like them. We talk, talked about it last week, I think. You know, uh, we influence our children. We influence other people. And when we do that, and, and he, he kind of, the commentator kind of makes it the same sense here, uh, you know, our pastor here at this church is our spiritual leader. And he is the one to set the example. Not only to give us the word, but he's supposed to set the example. And we're supposed to follow in him. Just like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what he's saying. These princes of Judah, they're starting to act like the, uh, Israel. The, the boundaries have been taken down. He said, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. Remember what happened uh, in, in the book of Exodus? When the children of Israel got to the, the uh, Red Sea? What happened to Pharaoh and his army? What did God do with them? He poured that water right back on top of them. He says, I'll do the same to Ephraim and to Judah. I will pour out my wrath like water. He's just going to pour it over top of them. How many of you have a, you have a garden or plants? You take a big bucket of water and you pour on top of them. You drench them, right? Make sure they get good enough water. He says, I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim, verse 11, is oppressed and broken in judgment because he has willingly walked after the commandment. Now, I looked at this, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, if he walked after the commandment, 
Isn't he walking after God? The word commandment in this passage means something different. It's not the commandments of God, it's the commandments of man. He's walking after the commandments of man. He's walking after those commandments of the priest and of the kings and of the civil leaders. They decided to walk after them. Instead of listening to God and what he has to say, they're listening to the civil leaders, their king. It's like saying, you know what? I'm not going to listen to Pastor Joe anymore. I'm going to start listening to Biden on spiritual things. Now, that's a joke in itself right there. That man ain't got no spiritual. He ain't even got a spirit, I don't think. But anyway, he said they are oppressed and they're broken in judgment because they are willing to walk after the commandments of man. And you can write that next to it there, commandment. That's a man's commandment. That's not God's commandment. Okay? He said, therefore, in verse 12, he said, therefore will I be unto Ephraim as a moth and as a house of Judah as rottenness. This, 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 I, I kind of like this. I wanted to look into this and see if they, anybody have moths around your house? You ever, you ever I, I know years ago, we used to, uh, mom, we'd have a closet and something she'd had stuck away back in the closet, she'd get pulled out and there'd be a hole in it. Why'd ate that hole in there? A moth. And that's what a moth does. It goes around and it, it slowly eats a hole in whatever it's on. It slowly starts uh, uh, eating away at the material that it's on. It's gotten a hold of. And God says here, he says, I will be like a moth to Ephraim and a rottenness to Judah. He said that moth, God compares himself to a moth. He is the one who's going to eat away at them. Uh, rottenness slowly consumes both the people, not destroy them, but eats away at them. Have you ever, I, I know I have sometimes in my life, I, I've done something and the Holy Spirit deals with me and he deals with me and he deals with me and he deals with me and it just eats away at me. Or, or I'll get upset about something and it just eats away at me. I mean, it just, you know, it just gets to you, don't it? I mean, it, it just, and like a moth does, it just slowly inching by inch and taking away from it. God said he compares himself to that moth to uh, Ephraim and to rottenness to Judah. They would never wear away. They would wear away. They would wear out. They would waste away, he says. Israel would get to the point where their sin is so bad, God said that he will be like a moth. He will be slowly eating away at them in their spirituality and in their lives. And he'll keep nibbling at them and keep nibbling at them until they finally get to a point where there's nothing there left. And he's talking spiritually. He's talking, uh, you know, with their mindset. He said they will be completely uh, eaten up by their sin. And he's going to allow them to do that. He's going to step away. As he's already said, I'm stepping away from them. I'm going to let them be as they are. In Romans... Chapter 8, I think it is. God says, I let them go. I turn them over to their reprobate minds. That's what he's done here. To his, his own nation that he has come up with, 
that he has created, his own chosen people, he has decided to let them go. I'm going to let them go to the reprobate minds, let them go on and, and sin all they want. But I'm going to keep edging at them and edging at them and edging at them until they realize they need something better. They need to come back to me. He says, I will be like a, house, like a moth to them. I'll keep slowly eating away at their, their spirituality. I'll slowly eating away at their conscience. He says, to Judah, I'll be rottenness. Uh, they're rottenness. They, they're slowly decaying. Slowly being consumed by their own sins and their own pride and, and their wardom they're into. Uh, we saw back in chapter 1 where Gomer uh, you know, went out and finally she got to the point that nobody would have anything to do with her and so she put herself on the, the slave block. And Hosea went and bought her back. God says here for Ephraim and Judah, I'm going to slowly let them get to that point. But I'm going to deal with them, let them have their way and so they get to that point where they're not completely destroyed and annihilated, but to the point where their minds and they get so tied up in it that they, they're just rotten. They're just stinking rotten. He said, that's what I'm going to do with them. I'm going to keep pushing at them, but they're, they're going to get to that point. They're slowly going to eat away at them. But God says he won't completely destroy them. But they're going to wish they'd... You ever, you ever heard that phrase? Wish, you know, somebody says, oh, you know, they're going to get to that point where they wish they were never born. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. They're going to get to that point where they're going to wish they had thought about it before they did it. Verse 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his, mount, his wound... Then went Ephraim to the Assyrians and sent to King Jareb. Yet could he not heal you nor cure you of your wound. Even in the point where they are so distraught, they're so eaten away, that they think they can go to another country and they're going to take care of them. They're going to heal them. Seeing the wrath a punishment of God, they thinking they have help to heal, and the Assyrians and their allies would be their help. They think that because when they finally realize how bad they've gotten and how sick and distorted they are, they think, oh, we'll just go to over here and, and you know, uh, get them to help us and, and we'll be all okay. That doesn't do no good. What happens when when we try to fix something in our lives without consulting God. Now, we, we may, in some cases, we may, you know, hey, well, i got a bill come in, and I go out here, I made a couple extra bucks, I can pay no bill. That, okay, that's fine. But who gave you the work to allow you to pay that bill? God did. Uh, when we get to a point where we have a real bad illness, uh, sickness, or, or a deep problem in our lives, who do we turn to? Do I call the governor of West Virginia and say, hey, I need some help. I'm really sick. Or do I call Biden up in the White House and say, hey, you know, man, I'm, I'm really desperate. I'm sick. I've got cancer or whatever. 
I need some help. No. But see, that's what Israel was in that sense that they were so prideful, they were so deep in their sin and their 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 uh, uh, wardom, as he calls them, he said that they thought they could go to another country or their allies and get help for their sickness. But what did the Assyrians do? Later on, the Assyrians took them over. They captivated, or they put them in captivity. But he said they go to the Assyrians and they sent to King Jerob and wanted him, for some reason, to help them cure their problem. Here's another country that's so deep in their sin, probably as worse as they are, but I'm going to go to them and help them. It would be like me having, having this uh, uh, addiction, and so I'm going to go to another addict and get him to help me get over this addiction. Wouldn't make any sense, would it? But that's what he's saying Syria or uh, Israel and Judah were doing. They were going to the other country wanting their help. For I will be, in verse 14, unto Ephraim as a lion and as a young lion to the house of Judah. He said, I will be like a lion. The sense here is that he's going to be, God's going to be like a wild beast. A hungry, starving wild beast. He's going to fall upon Ephraim and Judah like a hungry beast and tear them apart, he says. He says, I will tear them apart and then go away. He says, I'm going to get them to the point where they're going to be so chaotic and so messed up in their, their sins and their, their lifestyles and all that they do, I'm just going to, just be like, I'm just going to let them go. I'm going to just throw everything I got at them. And then I'm going to step away. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt that life had, had thrown everything against you? And then God just walked away from you? Sometimes it happens. Sometimes you feel that way. But he said, this is what I'm going to do to Judah and Ephraim, both Israel and Judah. He said, I will tear and go away. He said, I will take away and none shall rescue him. There's not going to be any help for him. They are past that help. I spoke about this last week. God will deal with a person an a, a, a unsaved person and he would deal with them and he'd deal with them and he'd deal with them just like he did Israel until the point where he realizes, God realizes and knows he's not coming to me. He's never going to come to me. I'm going to let him go. And he'll never speak to him again. He'll never deal with him again. And that man will die and go to hell because he had the chance, he had the chance, and he had the chance. Just like Israel, over and over and over. They sinned, God gave mercy and brought them back. They sinned, God gave mercy and brought them back. At one point, God says, I will let go of them until they are so distraught. They're so bad, and they realize it, that they'll finally come back to me. We spoke about that last week. Remember, we read that, basically referring back to or referring to the future Armageddon. When that war is ended, Armageddon is ended, <coughs> during tribulation, what's going to happen? The two witnesses are going to witness to Israel. But when that point comes, Israel will turn to God. 
they will be saved. He goes on, he says, none shall rescue you. Verse 15, and I like this verse because I like the way it, it deals with it. I will go and return to my place. Where's God's place? In heaven. God's place is in heaven. He said, I will go to my place and they, till they acknowledge their offenses and seek my face in their affliction, they will seek me early. <coughs> Excuse me. God says, you know what? I'm going to let them go. Let them have their time. Let them do as they please. And I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm going to kick back. And I'm just going to watch. That's basically what he says. Some, someone had a quote here. Let me quote this from <coughs> After dealing fiercely with Judah and Israel, God says he will go for a time of rest and quietly wait in heaven to see what happens to him. Now, God is in control of all things. He knows what's happening, and he can step in at any time if he decides to. But he's not going to change his plans. He's already told them. He said, I'm going to let you go so far. And they're in that period that they are wait. God is waiting on them. And it won't be until the Armageddon or until tribulation comes that they will finally break down and realize that they need to come back to God. And he says they will do that. He says, I will go to my place and I will sit back and relax until they acknowledge their own offenses. You cannot help somebody until they realize that they need help. I could, you know, if I got sick or somebody in my family got sick and, and never wanted to go to the doctor, nope, I ain't going. Nope, I ain't going. Are they going to get any better? No, they just keep getting worse and worse. He says, I'm going to sit back and see what happens. And when they finally realize, when they finally come to their senses, he says, they will seek my face. And he says, I'll be there. And we'll go into chapter 6 just for the first three verses because it kind of goes on with that. Because once they get to that acknowledgement of their offenses, once they, once they realize how bad they've gotten, and they finally start to turn toward God and come back to him, he says this, Come and let us return unto the Lord. This is Israel and Judah. For he has torn and he will heal us. They finally now realize it is God who can heal them, not, their na not the other nations. He will heal us. He has smitten and he will bind us up. He'll fix us. He'll take care of us. After two days will he revive us. In the third day will he rise up. We shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Anybody get a hint of what that's referring to? Three days? He says, after two days will he revive us. What happened on the third day? Christ rose, right? On the third day, he says right here, he says he will rise up. On the third day, he will rise up and we shall live in his sight. That's the gospel. 
he's talking about Christ going into the grave and being risen. He says, when we come to that point to return to God, he will rise us up. Now, one commentator says it has nothing to do with it, but other commentators say it does. It's a reference to Christ's resurrection. It's a short, quick gospel right there in Hosea's prediction or his, his prophecy. <clears throat> then shall we know if we follow on to the Lord, if we follow the Lord. We got saved, right? Because of what? God's grace and the gospel. And after we got saved, what did we do? Start following God. He said, we follow on to the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain. He will give us comfort. He will give us the need that we need, everything that we need. He will supply for us. And as the latter, the former rain unto the earth. He will supply all that we need. We'll finish up in chapter 6, starting at 4 next week, <clears throat> which won't be but eight verses. But God says, and it deals with not just the nation of Israel, but it deals with individuals. God said, I will let these people go to a certain point, so far down until they finally realize that they need him. They need his help. I don't know if any of you have been in that point, but uh, I know when the first time I stepped into this church in 1988, I knew before I even came to this church that day, that I had problems in my life. And I come into this church, and we sit in that back pew back there, and Pastor Neil Edson preached. I don't remember what he preached on. But by the time he got done, I knew I needed something. I needed Christ. I got that low. Now, I wasn't into to drugs and all that, but uh, things were going in our lives, and we were just, we were having a time. We just didn't know what to do. But that's, what, that's how he says they'll do. He says, I, I will keep on and keep on and keep on dealing with you until you finally realize what you need. And that's him. And God will one day, just like in Romans and just like Israel and Ephraim, he may, you know, say that's it. They're not going to, so I'm not going to mess with them no more. Now God knows who is and who ain't. But he would still deal with them. It's just like evangelizing. We evangelize. We don't know who's going to get saved, who, who you know, will come to God or not. But we evangelize. And there's some people out there, we look at them and say, we've talked and we've talked and we've talked and we've told them and we've gave tracts and we've preached to them and we've told them about it. And they just don't want to do with it. But one point, one day they will. They'll get to that point. Any questions? Any comments? Any misunderstandings? <laughs> I know. Okay. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to be able to come into your meeting house and to worship you and to uh, study about you and to read your word. And, and Lord, uh, just to um, honor and glorify you and your word. God, today we just pray that 
and ask for a blessing upon each one here, for, for in our entire church, Father. We just ask for uh, a blessing. Father, we ask you to watch over us tonight as we go home. Help us in all that we do. Help us, Father, to continue to, to uh, worship you, continue to read your word, to study, to understand. Uh, God, open our hearts and our minds to you. God, help us not to be like Ephraim and Judah, but help us to be a follower of you and to come to you when we need you at all times, every day. Father, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.